When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your post-match Raw on Anfield Index Pro, podcasting to you from my field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Downey, and joining me to give their immediate reactions to Sheffield United nil Liverpool 2 in the Premier League from Bramall Lane are Dave Hendrick and Jim Boardman. Dave, I, I saw you saying that you'll take those kind of scruffy wins every day, but by God, it was scruffy, and there were a lot of very, very patchy two on a spectrum of patchy to ropey as fuck performances that we are possibly lucky to get away with the performances, if not the overall thing. I agree with you. I think it was a deserved win by a deserved margin, but a lot of things to just win sat throughout the course of the night that made it uncomfortable. It's getting a bit frustrating, all this discomfort, isn't it? It is a little bit. It is a little bit, but like we have to realize we're in December. The, there's a lot of games coming up. And the only thing that matters is the result. Like the performance we can work on. The performances we know this team is capable of more. But last season, I think we go there and we lose that game if we play like that. So that's a positive for me. I thought Queeving looked significantly better, more confident. Didn't have a whole lot to do, but what he had to do, he did well. I thought Virgil was outstanding. I thought Ibu Bar, one or two little sloppy moments, had a very good game. And that's a platform for us to build off. And we are now two points behind Arsenal. We play Crystal Palace on Saturday at 12.30. That game 
is obviously at Palace. Palace have lost at home tonight to Bournemouth and are in poor form at the moment. And should we win that game, we will go top. So that's the only thing I'm focused on right now is we beat Palace, we're top. And for all the hype around Arsenal and how it's destiny and their great mentality of coming back to score goals after playing shit like they did last night, we won a game tonight where we didn't play anywhere near as well as we should, but we deserve the win, and that's the only thing that matters to me. Yeah, I'll take I'll, I'll take that um, exactly as you're putting it there. I agree with you on, on, on all fronts, and I do believe that Arsenal have a comparatively um, difficult game, so we could have a lovely swing where we to um, pull a result out of the bag against Crystal Palace. And Jim, to bring you in on this just for your immediate uh, feedback, you know, a, a frustrating night in many ways, but as Dave says. We really are sort of, it feels like already at the business end of the season where we, if you're involved at least nominally or realistically and in reality as we are in a title challenge, every game feels like it's the sharp end of the season because you can't afford to lose because you have these fuckers like City who are going to win all the time or the majority of the time. You have teams who are putting together runs of form like Arsenal, so we can't afford to lose. And therefore, it really is just about doing the business. I would obviously prefer it was a lot more sort of uh, Rolls-Royce in the way that we go about it uh, and had less moments of cringe and fear and anxiety attached to it. But it's probably a little bit over-egged really to say that they were really that much of a threat in the night I don't know sometimes I get it all spun around in my head because you're watching a, 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 a stream where the commentary team are obviously entirely in favour of whoever Liverpool are playing and so you get a little bit of a twisted take on it I mean what's what's your overall take in terms of how comfortable otherwise that was this evening and does it really matter well I think I think by the end of the season we're all going to be looking back and thinking um if assuming that Virgil's lifting that trophy um in whatever way he wants to lift it that we'll not be going back looking at nights like this and thinking god we were lucky to win the league I think um it's a contrast to Sunday I mean Sunday was a game we could have lost because we we kept letting them score and basically we needed four amazing goals to kind of win the game um today I don't know. I just, I think more than anything, they weren't, they weren't good enough to capitalize on how bad we sort of were, if that makes sense. We, we had what, 75% possession or something for most of the game. And how often did their keeper do anything? You know, that's, I mean, but at the same time, um, I mean, Kelleher didn't have a lot to do. Um, because, uh, you know, as much as they had the little moments, they didn't really threaten us that much. And, and to be fair to Callagher, he must like midweek games because, um, he was good in the middle of last week and he was good tonight. Um, not as good on Sunday. So, um, everyone's allowed a blip. I just think we, I don't know. We, I mean, it's all the cliches, isn't it? I mean, I, I really don't care how, if we win the league this season, I don't give a damn if we kind of go from now to the end of the season winning one nil. I'm not sure my heart will stand for it as much, but, um, I've seen us play games like that and be more worried about us, more worried that we're going to get the sucker punch. And although I still thought there was a, a slight possibility of it tonight and less chance of us maybe having the ability to go and get one back the way we did so well on Sunday, um, I just didn't think they were enough of a threat. And I think I'm hoping that what we take out of this is next team we play might be more of a threat if we play like that and we can't play like that. We've, it's not, I don't know, it's not so much the sort of not, it's not so much the conceding, the risk of conceding that worries me. It's the 
I mean, 75% possession and we just didn't test their keeper anywhere near enough. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely fair. It was it was about what we were doing with that ball and the most uh I think egregious part of of the performance was that final ball or just the sharpness of the balls around the areas of the park, park where you can really do a bit of damage. We just seemed lackluster and off the pace and moment there could be some moments that could be summed up really in that gorgeous ball through where we actually did get the pass right towards the end and Darwin's in and and and, and he doesn't convert and everyone's sort of uh, stressed out at that point and, and it just felt kind of emblematic of the evening. So it was nice to see what happened a few minutes later when, uh, he's involved in, uh, another moment of, oh God, uh, but chases back and gets involved to have the assist. So lots for us to talk about around the game itself. I don't know that this referee deserves any of attention at the start. We'll come to him as we come to him uh, during the game. And Dave, let's see you and I begin the details of the of the the, the pre match first by just having a quick look at the lineups because <clears throat> it's safe to say that it, he's he's changed it up. I think most people were fully expecting that he would with the turnover of games that we've got. And he went with Joe Gomez at left back, uh, Trent, uh, Kanata and Van Dijk making it the back four. Obviously, Kelleher still standing in for Ali. Uh, Endo um, played in midfield alongside Mack and Tabozlai. And it was Mo Diaz and this time Cody Gakpo up front, which meant obviously Darwin Nunes dropped to the bench. We had Curtis Jones there and Harvey Elliott. All three of those came on, as did Ryan Gravenberg. Also on there, Simicas, who got um, bombed to the bench with no appearance this evening at all. Uh, Pitaluga, Kwanzaa and Bradley. Um, that uh, third last name, certainly of interest. I was wanting to ask you a couple of things. And, you know, we, we're obviously going to get into the performances later on, but it's it's hard not to talk about that opening uh, that lineup and notice that Endo's there and not mention that he was very very solid indeed. Considering yeah. he picked up a cell a silly yellow early on, and I thought his passing was crisp. I thought he was bloody great. I thought just in terms of he was the most solid of citizens and actually probably one of our best um, uh, offensive passers in terms of pinging balls into feet with a bit of pace on them. And we know he can do that. I'm very happy with him tonight. The other thing I wanted you to just touch on, if you won't mind the Liverpool lineup is I was one of these, I've one, I'm one of these people who I will admit, I will admit much and all as I hate the, uh, the galaxy brain folks. I went full on galaxy brain with my concept of Joe Gomez at left back. In my head, it was a great idea because Joe was very good with the ball at his feet. He's comfortable in possession and so on and so forth. Now he really did have a stinker of a night tonight all round. So that's possibly part of it, but it did cure me of ever wanting to see my left back again. I thought it was a bit weird Costas didn't get a run out considering how much Joe was struggling. Um, your take on the lineup and just maybe touching those two particular uh, selections, if you would. Yeah, so I think we all expected that there'd be some changes after the weekend, after such a loose performance um, against Fulham. And Endo obviously scored the goal that he, he, let's be honest, he changed the game against Fulham. Got the first goal, had that crunching tackle, got the crowd up and bouncing a couple of times and was, was neat and tidy with the ball. And that's all you're really looking for him to do. Crunch into a few tackles, be neat and tidy with the ball. Don't do anything stupid. Now he earned the right to start that game tonight. 
Tobin Curtis is start, but he came on. I thought he, he put in a decent showing when he came off the bench. But you're right. Like, Endo was really good tonight. Not just like, oh, yeah, he was good. Give him a little pat on the head. He was really good. And I should have mentioned him earlier when I was talking about Virgil and Ibu because he was part of that. And you mentioned to Jim that there was this kind of a perception that they were maybe a bigger threat than they were. They didn't really create a whole lot. I mean, how many saves did Cuevin have to make? I remember the one in the first half from McAtee, and I think that's that's about it. And a big part of that was, was Endo, like just doing a lot of dog work in midfield. And you mentioned the yellow card. The yellow card, there's no need to make that tackle when he does. But at the same time, I kind of loved it. I kind of loved having a lad that just absolutely hatcheted down one of their players because a few of them did it to a few of our lads at different stages in the night. They were loose with arms and there were some late tackles and stuff. So it was nice to see one of our lads put a little bit back on them. So I'd happily see him now start at Palace at the weekend. Absolutely happily see him start again. And the Joe, <laughs> the Joe thing. So... I'd like Joe as the left-sided defender in a three if we weren't asking him to also be the left-winger. If we had a left-footed left-winger who could provide real width and provide service from that side, and we could allow Joe Gomez to just sit in as a third centre-back and keep us nice and solid at the back, I'd be really happy to have Joe there. But in this system where our left, our left back is a left center back and a left winger and he's to do all these different things and run around like a chicken with his head cut off, it doesn't suit Joe at all. And you're right. He, he was, he was poor tonight. He was poor tonight. Um, he wasn't obviously the only one. The only change I didn't like was the, the Cody one because that's a defense that's there begging to be ran in behind. They're begging to be ran in behind. And Cody didn't run in behind them once. And it's not his game. He was never going to run in behind them. But how many opportunities did Darwin get running in behind them? Like he got in behind them three or four times just in the time he was on the pitch. Whereas with Cody, we know what he's going to do. He's going to drop off. He's going to help out in midfield. At one point, he dropped almost to right back in the first half just to pick the ball up and get us moving again. And that's valuable. But that's not going to hurt them. For me, tonight was the game for Darwin. And Saturday, with Palace against those two centre-backs, Anderson and Gwehi, that's much more a, a Cody Gakpo game, where you want to draw them out a little bit and create little pockets of space in behind them. With this Sheffield United team, like individually at the back, Ahmed Hodzic is very good. I thought he was very good for them tonight. But aside from that, like... They're very, very average. Very, very average. And we didn't test them enough. And, and you guys mentioned we didn't test the goalkeeper. The only like difficult save that he had to make was the one from Mo. Other than that, it was all very straightforward, obviously aside from the two goals. And the, the Darwin 1v1 is, is a decent save as well. But you know, I, I felt like if we'd started Darwin, it would have just it would have caused them more problems and given us a bit more of an outlet rather than Cody, who was dropping back in. And that first half was ugly because it was very congested in the middle of the field with us having basically five lads in there 
and then packing that area as well. I think, Jim, just to have a quick look at Sheffield United and <clears throat> give you a chance to speak about the Liverpool lineup as well. Uh, I totally take what they say on board there. It felt like the arrival of Diaz onto the pitch kind of gave uh, the truth to the sentiments expressed there by Dave. But if there's anything else you want to pick on up on from that selection, feel free to do it. Just in terms of Sheffield United, they're propping up the league for a reason. Um, Fotheringham has conceded something like 41 or two goals already. Um, they have some half-decent footballers. I love the idea that they've got uh, a, a defender called Trusty. That's just the best thing that ever happened. And Robinson and Hamidzic did okay, I thought, in, 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 in tonight, and actually better than okay in terms of keeping an awful lot of our attacks quiet. They had Bogle and Hammer and Souza and Brooks across the middle nominally with McAtee, who was very lively, and Archer sort of feeding Orsula. Um, these are not names that roll off the tongue, Jim. And Max Lowe came off the bench, as did John Fleck, who will be at least a name familiar to some of us older gents. Bernie Traore and the vagrant that is Oliver Norwood came on as well. So basically, overall, Jim, not exactly a lot of names that are going to strike fear into anyone's heart. Uh, a big job that Wilder's got on there. Feel free to talk about that. And also, if you had any references to the Liverpool lineup, give us those now as well. Yeah, I mean, I think Wilder's come into um, into a club that hasn't um, hasn't made the changes, if you like, that you would need to make if you want to make that step up from the championship to the top flight. I mean, um, you kind of, I mean, okay, you can go wrong when you do that, as Nottingham Forest nearly found out last season by making just a couple of changes too many. But yeah, the the quality isn't great there, and it's it's. It, to me, what you what you saw tonight was a fighting side and a fight and a, a side that's going to fight for survival, fight to um, get out of the bottom three by the end of the season. And I suppose that's the kind of plays they've got that you know if they can if they can hang on and and get the odd goal, get the odd point. I mean, I honestly don't think when you're down at that end that these are the games you worry about too much. You kind of almost think of these as I don't know foregone conclusions. And if you win these games against the sort sort of top six, top seven top sides, then that's a massive bonus. It's more about what you do with the teams around you. And I think that's where they're going to perhaps get their survival this season is if they can beat the teams around and the likes of Everton, of course, I'm not laughing. Um, you know, if they, if they can beat those sides, that's going to be what makes a difference. He's only just come in. Um, there was that worry that we might have that sort of wherever they call it, the, the new manager bounce stuff. But, um, I just don't think you had time to make enough changes to, to sort of the mentality. Um, I mean, were they using the towels before he came in? Um, I mean, that to me sort of sums up what he is at the minute, what that side is. It's a side that's, that's playing in the top flight, but is still a championship side. And I think that's, that's going to be their issue as the season goes on. But I think what maybe goes in their favour is that there's a few sides down at the bottom that kind of fall into that category this season. So, um, you know, that might be, might be what gets them through. McAtee impressed me. Is he on loan from City? Did someone mention? Um, he, he was quite impressive. Um, great to see Jack Robinson still playing. Um, after all these years, um, I often wondered where, where are they now? Um, but yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't, um, anything to sort of jumping out at me from their side, but from ours, um, I was surprised when I saw Gomez starting and I just thought, you know, because I think, Although Costas can get on our nerves at times, I think he's done okay the last few games. Um, if anything, he maybe has a moment where he just, um, 
he thinks after he's done what he's going to do at some times, gets a little bit sort of overexcited maybe, but he, he's played well, I thought, recently. And uh, when I saw the lineup, I thought either maybe there's an injury, maybe he's just trying to rest him, or maybe are we going to go, really, are we going to go for a back three from the off? Um, sadly, that wasn't the case. And as, you know, and I have to, I have to echo Dave. I mean, Joe as a, as a left back with his right foot, it's not, it's not him. I mean, he can play full back and he's not done too bad at right back, I don't think. You know, he has looked okay. Um, you know, he, he can be, he can be useful at right back. It's not his position. Um, but left back, I just think it's asking too much when, when you want to use him as a sort of basically as a wing back. It's just, it works as well as us sort of talking about having Simicass as an extra centre back. It's just not, it's not on. And maybe that's a problem we've got at the moment. We've not got a left sided player who can, kind of do both of those roles on the left-hand side and maybe that's something we need to look at because it feels inevitable that Trent isn't going to be a right-back for much longer or he's you know he's going to do this hybrid role we're going to see him more playing in midfield it's people say that's what he wants to do um I like the idea of him being able to do a bit of both and maybe a bit of surprise for the other side but interesting tonight Endo um at times this season I've you know we've looked at him and thought is he going to be good enough for us and you know, you sort of hold back your judgments on that and think, give him time. Um, plays can take a while to get into the swing of things. And I think the last couple of games he has done, last couple of games I've seen him play, he's definitely growing into his role. Um, although we could do growing a little bit taller, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it, it was interesting to see him. And again, front three, when I looked at that at the beginning, I'm thinking, um, is it just a case of rotating what you've got? We've got one of our, fo- our front players missing at the moment. Is it just a case of swapping one of them out and seeing, you know, trying to get them through? But what will be interesting at the weekend is, you know, would Salah be the one to make way? Would Diaz be the one to make way if he decides to do another bit of rotating? Because um, I would say they weren't our best front men today. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, uh, (laughs) your opinion was very much shared by the COCOM on Premier Sports, who I do believe was one Ethan Okoku, who people will remember from some years back in the oh, he's a terrible gang of lads, Trev. He's an a terrible abs- gang of lads. An absolutely an absolutely dreadful, dreadful set of lads. I, I, I did I did struggle with Ethan. He was having he was having a sad evening. Uh, and all he could really do was talk about how sad he was, how disappointed he was with <laughs> the likes of Mo and, and, and Luis Diaz. I think he had a point there, but also, you, sir, you he know, was very, very disappointed with Virgil van Dijk, and I can't wait to yeah. talk that in a few minutes. That's that's one of the highlights of the game was Evans taking Virgil. I had to turn him off after that, Trev. Well, you so you know what I'm talking about. We've got that yeah. coming up, and I'm going to go there with you up as far as that moment because the first half Dave starts with 
uh, you know, kind of nothing really of note until McAllister is down, uh, and it's not looking good. He, it's about the three minute mark. He's down for about four minutes. There's not even a yellow given. I think most people watching it back think it looked pretty much out of order. Um, you kind of wonder what's the point of any of this stuff, really, if people are looking at that and thinking, yeah, well, that's par for the course or nothing, uh, nothing out of order there. Um, anyway, he gets back up and gets on with it. Um, but. He had a little bit of a collapse then a couple of times during the game after that and one saw him having to go off uh, with his bandaged knee. Um, so that's not great. Uh, on nine minutes, there was some great play by Endo to launch an attack. It ended with a poor Mo Salah attempt on the volley from a Luis Diaz cross, but it was an early sign of Endo being on the ball. We had a Mo Salah attempt deflected on 10 minutes that led to a corner, a chance. The corner was cleared, another corner, and this one was a poor near post. Um, first man, couldn't beat the first man delivery. I think we must have had about 7,000 corners. The majority of them weren't great, for being honest. An awful lot of the set pieces hit that first man. It was a bit frustrating. But then again, there were a couple of excellent ones, so more of that later. On the counter, at that point, they had a 2v2. Uh, after Joe Gomez, not for the first time, coughed up possession around the halfway line in a very advanced position and McAtee managed to get an effort away at close range across the face of goal but Queeving does well to stand up and save it now on a previous occasion he may not have gotten there that was a big moment for him and for us especially if Ali's absence I think is going to be ongoing there is an absolutely huge clattering tackle by Endo on 14 minutes and I'm thinking this lad's right at it. And just to echo what Jim is saying, you kind of wonder, are there moments when something t- sort of clicks together for a lad? Well, if you can't have your season click together after you do something as outrageously inspiring as that tackle followed by that goal in the last game, then, you know, what is going to kick you into gear? And he just looked like a lad, if not quite possessed, then sort of politely possessed, absolutely on his game. Very, very impressive tonight, I thought. There was another terrible Joe Gomez moment. Um, an awful ball which killed an attack on 14 minutes. Um, another terrible Joe Gomez pass on 16 minutes. He really was sloppy in that opening 20. Then we saw Virgil versus Archer. Now, to me, Dave, and this is where we'll pause it, that's an absolute masterclass on how to defend. It's on the 17th minute, and he waits and he waits and he waits. We've seen him do this before, and he eventually makes the decisive step to the man and gets that vital interception. Efina Koku on Premier Sports was outraged at how lazy Van Dyke was being and he needs to do better and he needs to make that commitment to go to the man. And I'm thinking, hang on, Effin Okoku, weren't you a defender? Weren't you a centre half? Don't you realise when you're watching someone do something at a higher level than anyone else in the world is currently doing it? That lad had that moment on strings, Dave. It was a masterclass moment. I do have to correct you on one thing, Trev. Effin Okoku was a striker. Was, was it was a striker for Wimbledon in the early nineties. Uh, okay, for, for, did, he for, play, did, did he play with Villa or who? No, you're thinking of you're thinking of Ugo Ekiog or somebody like that. No, I just thought he had a spell with. I thought he was no, a, he was he okay, was at so, Sutton so United, was, Bournemouth, okay. Norwich, Wimbledon, Grasshopper, Zurich, okay. Sheffield Wednesday, Brentford, and then the ill-fated Dublin City FC to end his career. Well, I'm um, taking all that, Jeff, and what would you know about anything? Well, what would he know about defending? Like, why is he telling the world's premier defender 
what he should be doing. And like, that wasn't his first little bit of handing out tips to defenders worldwide. Before that, he'd said that as a defender, you want, to, you want to see those type of balls coming across. As a defender, you hate to play against pace. And I'm sitting there thinking, this fool is so full of shit. And I was very close to turning him off because he had said earlier, uh, when the team settled in and it became clear that they were going to play kind of a back four with Trusty almost as a left back, but it would become a five when we had the ball with the the young kid, uh, I can't think who, what his name is, Brooks, dropping in as a, as in a kind of an, an auxiliary left back. He'd said, well, you know, when Chris Wilder was there the first time, he'd chop and change his shape. He'd mix and match. He's very adaptable. And I thought to myself, that doesn't sound right to me. So I went and had a look. And in, in his first spell as manager, Chris Wilder managed 227 games at Sheffield United. In the first seven, he played a nice Brexity 4-4-2, and it was a disaster. And then he moved to a 3-5-2. And in the remaining 220 games that he managed, he played a 3-5-2 in all bar one, where he played a 4-4-2 and they got smashed in a cup game. So he wasn't tactically flexible or versatile or anything like that. So when he said that, I was already annoyed and I was considering knocking him off. And then... Virgil defends that moment perfectly. Like, that's the type of moment that you play it on a loop for young defenders. And you tell them, this is how you approach this situation. And we've seen Gerald Kwanzaa do it this season. The same type of thing. The same way of defending that type of situation. To get your angles right. To time it. And to make the striker make the decision. Is he going to beat you? Is he going to try and cut by? Is he going to lay the ball off? Virgil's the master at this. That is textbook defending from a master of the craft. And for this Jinnet to start criticizing Virgil and say, oh, he seems to take this attitude of, well, I'm going to stay in the center. And if I, if it happens over there, it's not my responsibility as long as I don't get beaten. That's not what he did. You fucking imbecile. Meanwhile, it, over on Amazon Prime, guess who got man of the match? Cameron Archer. Being lazy and arrogant and basically just getting away with one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, Virgil got man of the match, haven't you? Uh, so I want to I want to get back into these rounds some rounds some gremlins here. Like I want to get back to you, Jim, on this one. Um, if we could just from here as far as the goal at least um, because there's a couple of little bits here in the lead up to that so after Virgil's little masterclass which Evan didn't appreciate at all uh, on 21 minutes we had a, a Trent corner which was headed goalwards by Virgil and tipped over which led to another corner and uh, nothing doing then we had an Ibukanate header from a Mo Salah header, which came from a Trent cross on 23. And these are all, you know, not exactly stressing the keeper out, let's put it that way. Um, Mo then appeared to be fouled in the box. Nothing was given because it's Mo Salah. VAR were checking it, apparently. Uh, and then, at that moment, then, we have uh, the stretch of play, which led to Endo picking up his yellow card. On 35, they have one of their big sort of moments where they have a long throw into our box. 
Um, for the most part, I think we dealt okay with that, um, you know, potentially unsettling thing. Um, it did lead to a header, but it was at Quivian Kelleher. Uh, I think that was the only time the long throw led to anything of note. On 36 minutes, it was a Trent ball in after a 1-2 with Dom Sabozlai, um, but it was blocked, and that led to corner number seven. And here we go, Jim, on 36 minutes. It's Virgil van Dijk from that Trent outswinging corner on the right. Virgil sweeps the volley into the ground and into the net. Of course, it had to be checked for by VAR for uh, suggested I think foul by Van Dyke or shoved by Van Dyke um to free himself up but in the end it is given now at this stage Jim it's very important that we get all of these things out of the way about Trent's cheeky assist and how Sheffield United are bottom of the league and they're performing a rear guard action. And anything else you need to get out of your system, let's do it now because I don't want any more of these for the rest of the show. Well, but I, up as I, far as the- yeah, I, was, I was disappointed that we weren't going to see Hacking Bottom tonight, but as it was, we saw Trent Hacking Bottom, <laughs> didn't we? There you go. There you go. So up as far as that goal, anything you want to talk about? And I will stay with you and finish out the rest of the second half with you. Dave, if you want to jump in on the goal, feel free to do it. And myself and Yeah, no, I was just going to say, like, it it wouldn't have been a bad thing if the floodlights had gone out because they could have just played by the lights of the moon. <laughs> good God. Right. Enough. Some good That's the line drawn under. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. Right, Jim. Up as far as the goal and anything else you want to talk about, and then you and I'll see out the rest of the first half. Yeah, I mean, the, the throw-ins, I mean, the, the long throws, the towel and all that, it feels like, to me, that feels like it's a blast from the past. It feels like it's something that used to work, a bit like 4-4-2 and things like that. Um, I used to be worried when I used to see that kind of thing happening because... I don't know, maybe we didn't have the, the best defenders when it was happening a lot against us, and it was always against these sort of teams in these kind of places where you sort of feel, um, you know, there's an upset on the cards, and as you say, the commentators are all hoping for the upset. But tonight, I didn't I didn't feel, that that was the least worrying thing, really, in, in many ways about them tonight, so um, maybe that's something they need to think about again. I, I just don't think it had the effect it used to. Um, but Trent as well, I mean, that goal, the corner was won by Trent, and, and what I liked about that winning that corner was that we're trying to get into the box. We're trying to work the ball into the box. We're actually trying, if not to pass it to someone, to actually have, a, have an attempt at goal. I'm not sure what that was from Trent, but there's a lot of work going on. The fact is that we're in the box. The ball's moving. They've got to do something about it. And what they did about it was deflected it wide for a corner. By doing this, you, you, you're creating the possibility of chances. And all this sort of passing around outside the box and waiting for the ideal moments, I just think sometimes I wish we would just... Yeah. Oh, I didn't really mean to say this. I wish we would just have a crack at goal a little bit more often. Um, but, you know, actually, um, instead of just all, all this sort of messing about, at the same time, I don't want us to just blast it over. I don't want us to have pathetic shots that just go way over. You know, a bit of sense. Have a go. Have a go at goal. There's a chance the keeper will parry it. There's a chance he'll get a deflection. There's a chance he'll score. Um, especially in these kind of games where they're, the chances for the the wonder goals don't always mess, maybe come up, but as we start the weekend, we can do them. But yeah, Trent Trent won the corner and then, in many ways, won the game really with that with that delivery. Because I read an article the other day about how corners aren't the in thing anymore. They're not they're not as good as they used to be. There was some stat that how few of them actually result in goals, and it's you know it's quite a low number. And I think we had at least a dozen today. But it does feel like a rarity that anything comes of him. But I think with Trent like that, the way he can vary what he does, I mean, he can try all different things. As long as the players are, are, are 
waiting for the ball to know what's coming or have an idea, um, something can come from it. Another irritating thing about the goal, though, I mean, Virgil, he, I couldn't believe it's his first goal of the season. Um, he's usually popped up with more than that by now. But he, he is a goal threat from a set piece. That That is one of the, one of the other qualities he's got that Effie Nikoku might not know about. Um, but there was that moment where we had to wait for VAR. And it's not just because Simon Hootspur is, um, you know, not to be trusted with his own decisions these days. <laughs> it, it was just, it was just them sort of falling over. Um, and it winds me up. There was an earlier corner where our players, I think it was Virgil, a couple of, you know, a couple of corners earlier had been getting his shirt pulled off basically. It was almost down, you know, ripped rip right off his neck. Play on, says the ref. Yet, and a little bit later, another corner, one of their players goes down, ref. No, that's a foul, you know, free kit to the, to Sheffield. Yet, in this occasion, you know, it looked like they were going to do, do him for a foul, but it wasn't. And that was one of the other irritants about, about Sheffield United. And I wish refs would be more on it is, the, the way they play for fouls, the way they play for set pieces, whether it's to get themselves out of a corner situation or whether it's to try and win something at the other end, I can't believe refs aren't more wise to it. I think that's fair enough. Um, Dave, any comment on the goal just before me and Jim finish out the first half? I, I was a little bit surprised that it took more than one glance for anybody in the VAR uh, room to, uh, to just okay that goal. like Just because uh, a fella fell over in, in his own box. It doesn't mean anything took place. It clearly wasn't a foul. The guy just fell over. And uh, it's a good finish by Virgil. So, you know, just blow your little whistle, Simon Hughes, uh, Simon Hooper. Tell them it was a good process and get the game going again. Yeah, please tell them it's a good process. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the point you made, Jim, was uh, born out within, um, I think, three minutes of that goal because... We've often talked in Raw in the past about what a threat Virgil is, uh, and Trent's deliveries when they're on point are great. And three of them now, at this point, by the 39th minute, have found Virgil uh, in a commanding position, and he has been, on one occasion when he scored the goal completely on his own, and on the other occasion, he may as well have a child standing beside him. And this one was a header that was from another outswing corner, and it's just over the top. Of course, Evan Okoku thought it was a great chance. <laughs> he, was, he was disgusted with Virgil. On 41 minutes, Trent shot well over the top from distance after a decent carry in field and layoff by Dominic Sabozli. Um On 44, a very tame Mo Salah effort along the deck after, again, Dominic puts it on a plate for him in terms of a little bit of an assist. Six minutes were added on for mainly, I imagine, the injury to McAllister. And during that injury time, there was on 49 minutes a great half volley by McAllister himself, who let the ball drop, spun and hit it on the half volley from distance, just on the kind of outside the corner of the box. And it was tipped over a lovely dig, um, unlikely to go in, but just a nice, deliberate hit um, and one that actually had to have the keeper on his toes a bit. The corner was poor. And then we saw Virgil right on the final whistle with another piece of excellent defending which, of course, led to crickets from the commentary team. Um, but just in terms of the entirety of the first half and how we followed up on the goal, I suppose the main thing to notice there is that it was us in the ascendancy towards the final whistle until that little charge down the flank where Virgil did very well to kind of uh, get his foot in, uh, keep the, take the, tip the ball away from the attacker who was barreling down the touchline and 
sprint forward and get the ball before it went out over our dead ball line. Just kind of the kind of things that Virgil brings to the game where he looks like an adult playing with kids. Um, I'll take those kind of performances from this guy and they're really starting to add up now and they could have a massive, massive influence on their season, Jim. Yeah, and I mean, we, we, it's not, I mean, I think maybe what Evan Okoki's done is you'd read one of the stories that said Virgil's finished, um, which, you know, we've heard people try and say from time to time, but I think, yeah, I mean, I'm sure if you, if you compare him like for like with his first full season with us, for example, that you'll see a different player, you'll see, you know, some differences, he's getting older or whatever, but he's still got the head, he's still got a lot of what made him special. And I think one of the things that made him special for us is that in these moments when, we're a side that wants to attack. We're a side that wants to go for goals. And that means we're going to get caught out on the counter. And he, um, you know, him and Ali between them have saved us so many times. And, and it's there again. He's done it. You know, he doesn't get books very often. You know, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't, I don't know. He's just, as you say, I mean, it calm as you like. It's not just said for the sake of it. It's something about him. He is just so calm. Um, his main job, you know, as much as we want to see him pop up and get the goals, his main job is at the back. And I think having him at the back gives us that confidence to be a more, uh, more attacking side. And, um, you know, we, we worry sometimes. I think what we're saying about Trent being playing more centrally, how it can leave us exposed. But I mean, I just thought Virgil was all over the place today in a good way, not in an effing Koku way. Um, it was, yeah, I mean, that McAllister effort as well. I mean, that's another sign that, um, I think the injury early on actually took something away from us because what I would have mentioned early on is that because, because Endo was playing, it gave us a chance to see McAllister maybe playing a role more yeah. like we would have wanted yeah. him to. Within yeah. five minutes, he'd been basically crippled and, um, it did take a lot away from him, but there was a little moment, like the moment we saw on Sunday from him that, um, he's one hell of a player and I thought we had the chance to see him being, the hell of a play we bought in the place we bought him for. Um, sadly, we didn't. But, you know, I, I would say that was just a little cameo there of what what we can have. I do think that injury kind of affected him throughout the game, although at times you wouldn't know he'd had one. Yeah, I because you think all, off the ball, I thought he was quite good. Like, I yeah. think he got through a, a good chunk of defensive work and he gave us, like, a, a modicum of control on the ball. But, like, I, was, I, I never even thought to mention it, Trev, because you, you highlighted it earlier. Um, like that was a stamp. Like it's not a, a purposeful stamp, but it's a stamp. Yeah. And and no action was taken. And just if I can interrupt proceedings with some bad news, Jurgen has confirmed that Joel Matip has torn his ACL, oh. which means season over and likely Liverpool career, career over. Yeah. Yeah. Unless unless we do the thing where we give him a one year deal so that he can, you know, complete his rehab and and whatever, uh, and and it delays his departure. Because what club is going to sign him when he's out with an ACL tear? So, you know, it might be the fair thing to do to sign him for to a one-year deal, maybe on reduced wages or something, and, and help him through his rehab and get him back up to playing speed. Yeah, that's a blow for sure. And um, it's, you know, not something you want hanging over you. I, it, you'd like to think it might put a little bit of pressure for recruitment come January, but I, I'm... I'm a little bit pessimistic about all of that, to be honest, but we'll see. Um, Dave, just to, to echo what, what, what you were and you and, and, and Jim have both made the point that I thought was Jim spot on. It, we really, I was looking forward to seeing a chance, uh, a chance to see Mac and Dom 
as the attacking midfielders with 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 Endo doing what he's supposed to be doing. It was a real opportunity, but it did feel like Mac was hobbled pretty much. I know I take your point that he, he was still getting through the work, but it did feel a little bit as though the, the edge was taken off him a little mm. bit and it feels like also I don't know I I can't imagine he's going to be rushed back into that game I imagine it's going to be Endo holding his place and Curtis Jones coming in alongside Sabaz like this raises another question that I wanted to bring in here uh, with you at this point before we go into the second half and that is the question of Dom Sabaz like and the mounting minutes that man is is churning out. An awful lot of people are perhaps fancifully saying that they can see it in him, that they see uh, a level of tiredness that wasn't there. Certainly, he doesn't appear to be as explosive as he was in the opening, say, ten, eight, ten games of the season. And I guess that will happen anyway. But there may be something to that. Um, there may also be something to the fact that he could end up being one of these like I said to you before in the show, most Salah unbreakable types who just want to play all the games. But, you know, it's a little bit of a concern because he's kind of undroppable at the moment, not necessarily because his form is so ridiculously good, but because we are quite limited uh, in terms of what we can do in that area uh, if we're going to have to carry a McAllister injury for a game or two, or if we're going to have Curtis Jones either bang out of form or suspended or whatever it happens to be, we're a little bit tight. And it explains why Sabazla has played so much. We're not really in a position, are we, to rest him? Certainly not for this next game. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. No, no. I think ideally you look to, to play him for Palace. Um, you rest Alexis for Palace and you hopefully... Then the week off gives Dominic time to recharge for United and the 10 days off that Alexis will have gives him the time to get back. Um, it, it is a little bit concerning how much he's played and the fact, like some of it was meaningless, like bringing him on against, you know, Europe, Europa League teams when ideally the starting midfielders, including two that you signed in the summer should be getting the job done. Um, but yeah, I mean, look. The, the thing is, he he does look a little bit less explosive for certain. It's not just that he's playing so many minutes for us. He's also then going away with Hungary and carrying a team, like putting an immense load on him at national team level as well, because he's the captain and you know he's going to give everything he has to play for them. But at the same time, ninety three minutes into the game tonight. He's sprinting back, taking the ball off McAtee, sprinting again to keep the ball in play and just kind of kill the game off. So while he's not as explosive and maybe some people are a little bit 
maybe some people expected that he might have, you know, six or seven goals by now. Some people are looking at what Jude Bellingham is doing at Real Madrid, not actually watching Real play, don't really see the role that Jude is playing and how little defensive work he has to do and thinking that Dominic should be doing the same thing, even though he's having to do a huge amount of defensive work. But I still think he's doing enough to help us win games. Like, he is contributing to winning, and that is the be-all and the end-all for me at this moment in time. He's only young. We know that there's much, much more to come from him. And I thought tonight, with, with the presence of Endo, an actual ball winner there in midfield, you could see Dominic a little bit more freed up to get forward. And I, I do think, had it not been for Alexis suffering that injury, um, I, I do think we would have seen a little bit more of those two combining in those kind of half spaces because they were both moving side to side and picking up little pockets of space. And there was some promising little one-twos in that uh, happening in those areas with Cody dropping in and Mo coming in. And I, I think, you know, the, the stronger we get, the more reps these players get together. If we can improve in a couple of areas, it, both in terms of personnel and performance, I do think that Dominic is going to be an absolute star for us. I really do. And like, again, today, like 90, 93 minutes into the game, and he's powering back to do defensive work. Jude Bellingham's not, not being asked to do that, and he's not doing that. So when people make those comparisons and try and use them to bash Dom and say that maybe Dom should be dropped, we can't drop him. And like you said, he's undroppable at the moment. Good performance or bad performance, he is undroppable. Because who's going to come in? Like, who's coming in? Harvey has not played well from the start in games this season and doesn't offer the same defensive work. Gravenberg doesn't offer the same defensive work, doesn't offer the same level on the ball at the moment, only really does one thing well, and isn't reliable enough to put in from the start. So it has to be Dominic. Trent obviously doing the inverted thing. And then the other two, at the moment you'd say it's two from Endo, Curtis and Alexis. And that's the group we've got right now, and it has to just stay at that. We don't have the extra bodies yet. Yeah, and he's the he, one. He took, play, he took, he took, um, he took Dominic and um, 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 Maka off with what about an hour, well, about an hour gone um, on Sunday, which was kind of a surprise. You would have thought that one of you know at least one of them would have stayed on. McAllister was doing a lot of work on Sunday. I thought um, and he was having to do a lot of work on Sunday. Um, but then we sort of we went to having Trent and, and Gravenberch in the middle of sort of a two-man midfield almost. And it was, um, by the end of the game, I think anyone watching it was thinking maybe maybe Gravenberch was the one who should have gone off rather than one of the other two. But, um, you know, th- this is the thing. We've got all of these players, but are we really sure where our best, our best sort of combination of them is? And, and can we get them to play enough together to, to really find that out? Yeah, the one man who's going to be in most people's combo for the best ones at any time, even if he is not necessarily at the top of his form, is Dom. Uh, who we'll speak about right at the death of the show as well. And maybe we'll just push on with some more details of the match here. We had a dangerous cross to begin the second half from them, followed by a dangerous corner from them around about the 47 minute mark. I say dangerous. They had a little bit of um, excitement in the home fans. On 55 minutes, there was a one-handed reflex save from a crack. Attacking Mo Salah, right foot volley. He really directed it well with his standing leg uh, from another Trent corner. It was kind of on the on the money. Um, 
But at that point, McAllister is down on 57 minutes and by 58, Curtis is on for him. Uh, I'm noting down here at this point in the game that Endo's very, very solid because he is. He's buzzing around. He's getting his, um, he has a very specific kind of way of passing the ball. It's very efficient, but he does it with pace. I do like the way that, that guy plays. And if he can keep that level of performance, I mean, I'd be very happy to see him, um, continue in that position for as long as possible. And I think he'll only get better. Um, Ibu got caught out and had to take down the man and picked up a yellow in 62 minutes. And we bring on Harvey and Darwin for Luis Diaz and Mo Salah. I think an awful lot of people were stunned that we were taking Salah off in 65 minutes. But I think they might be more kind of the narrative merchants who are like, let's get Mo to his 200 goals. But, you know, if if he's he's had a couple of games where he's possibly, uh, of the last three or four games, you would say they certainly haven't been his best performances. And, you know, everyone needs a rest every so often even even uh, the indestructible Mo Salah I loved how the cameras kept a long lingering look on him on the bench waiting of course. to see if he could spot him having a bit of a, a bit of a paddy about things but he wasn't was he he was fine no. was it? No, he was and, disappointed as any way player would be but not not angry or, but, or rebellious or anything no not throwing things not throwing toys out of the pram but as you say of course the cameras were looking for that hoping that that might happen uh, on 70 minutes Archer pl- was played in by uh, McAtee and he dithered, but we were in trouble. And I think that actually, interestingly enough, Jim, might have been one of their more dangerous moments where the, it was just, it was a ball from midfield played down straight through our defense, kind of down the side of two of them. And the, 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 the kid, um, Archer's in. And he does kind of fluff it. It's a decent opportunity. They bring on Fleck and Traore on 73 for Brooks and Osula. And I'm going to pause it there and just ask you, what did you make of that opening sort of half of that second half? Kind of not too many events, I think it's fair to say. Very bitty, broken up by substitutions and stuff like that. But it didn't have that kind of authoritative feel that we were hoping for. And you would imagine the substitutions were designed to to give F and a Coco his due, inject a little bit of energy, which is what I think we were, if not energy, perhaps um, incision, which is what we were lacking, and a little bit of threat, which is what we were lacking. Dave alluded earlier on to Cody Gakpo, how he doesn't really scare people unless he's really on a tear. Um, he's a different type of footballer. But when Darwin came on, he did start to do that. And, um, you know, just a couple of minutes after their substitutions, um, he has that wonderful, wonderful opportunity. It's a great through ball by Trent. And, um, then Joe Gomez has a blasted effort, uh, uh straight afterwards over the top. But you, you see where I'm going with that. The, those substitutions seem to be very much needed, Jim, because we weren't exactly doing anything. I don't think there's anything apart from that mole opportunity in the first half of that second half. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It was sort of occasional flashes of something might happen rather than constant feelings. And that and that's in both directions. I mean, that, I, I mean one thing I thought about McAtee, I thought he was a decent player. He's, there's obviously a decent player in there. Um, and, you know, and he must feel frustrated that, you know, he put that ball through. And it was. I mean, it, it caught us, caught us off well and truly. Um, but the, the, the player he got it to was a player that couldn't make the most of it. And 
Um, I mean, it's not quite to the same level, but it must be how Steven Gerrard felt a lot of his time at Anfield over the years when he would make a wonderful ball only for someone not to make a very good job of it. Because mm-hmm. um, the amount of times Gerrard was basically the only decent player and, you know, or one of the very few decent players in the team. And I'm, I, you know, that, that kind of thing comes to my mind. But yeah, um, Salah is always a danger. Even though he's not been, I don't know, it's this, this thing, isn't it? As soon as people start talking about the 200th goal, it's like, it feels like it's as far away as ever. I get the feeling he's going to score 200, 201, 202 all in the same game when he does get, get that 200th goal score, but it just feels like it's as far away as ever to get it. But that was, that was a good save. But yeah, other than that, what else, what else happened? Um, Canate potentially, you know, there was a bit of a worry. Did he have a head injury? But I wonder as well whether it was partly just having a bit of a rest, um, you know, just to slow things down a little bit, do a bit of what other people do to us so often, just, you know, slow the game down, use up some minutes. Um, just because there was just that little potential risk with them of um, of them doing something. But I just, as I said from the beginning, they just didn't look quite capable of of pulling it all off. You know, they they had some good ideas, but not the way to, to execute them. Um and yeah, and I think that was the good point to bring Nunez on. I mean, I mean, Harvey Elliott's another player as well. I mean, we always say where's his best position, and I still don't think we really know. But he is a player that definitely brings energy and and determination, and can do some good things when it works out for him. I don't think it really did for him tonight. Um, but Darwin, um, again, I mean, yeah, if you'd have started him, what a difference a game it would have been. He's just so determined when. Um, and obviously we'll come to talk to talk about it a little bit later because there was a perfect example of it. You know, he's this sort of player that um he'll miss a sitter, and let's face it, most Salah can miss sitters, but he smiles, he gets on and he'll have another go, and he'll have another go, and he'll have another go. And if he loses the ball, he'll go and win it back, or he'll try and win it back. Um if we lose the ball, he's on at them. He he seems to be almost at times the only player that's remembered that we're a pressing side. It feels like, you know, there's no one else seems to be pressing the way he does. Um so yeah, I mean that energy, everything about him is um, is good. I just think as well, maybe there's an, el- an element of Klopp thinking he wants to protect him because the worst thing for a striker is to go six games without a goal because it all goes, um, you know, four games without, five games without, six games without. It all gets built into something bigger and bigger and bigger. And I actually don't think Klopp needs to protect him though because I don't think Darwin gives a shit about that sort of stuff. <laughs> he does. Um, he still comes out playing exactly the same way, and he will get his yeah. goal. I think you're right. I think he's mentally bulletproof, that kid. And, uh, it's, it's going to stand to us in time because you're right. We have a perfect example of that. I, that miss on 76 minutes. I mean, I, at the time, I think I'm like, you got to finish that. You got to finish that. There's a big, big opportunity. And, um, Dave, to see the game out with you, Jim, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to you for your wrap up thoughts in a minute. So you can be putting together whatever you want to say about whatever's left of the game and the game overall. Uh, but Dave, let's just you and I finish the, detail of the match here ourselves so Darwin has that opportunity it's a good one um, there is a lovely flowing move on 82 minutes and it ends up with Curtis coming in from the left hand side and kind of dragging one across the face of goal it's neither cross nor shot and there's nobody there anyway uh, Darwin picks up yellow on 83 for kicking the ball away Gravenberg comes on for Cody on 85 and the um the bedraggled vagrant that is Norwood comes on for Vinnie Souza on 85 and uh, Ibu Kanate goes in a bit wild, if we're being perfectly honest, on 86. And I think we might be a little bit lucky that there was no real inspection of it. Or if there was an inspection of it, and maybe there was actually VAR, I couldn't really tell from whatever kind of um, garbled commentary I was getting. Um, but 
it, it, at least it, it wasn't given. Um, it was a little bit wild by Ibu, which he had been on a couple of occasions, just a little bit less than his um, composed self, shall we say, in terms of his delivery as well a few times. Poor old Joe Gomez, bad night for him. He gave the ball away leading up to that chance um, where Canale was put under pressure. On 87 minutes, they bring on low for Trusty. <laughs> and the Sheffield United fans, they don't like the way the decisions are going, you see. So they start chanting Premier League corrupt as fuck. Fair play to them. And, mm. and Norwood picks up a yellow <laughs> on 89 minutes for going in late on Damsa Bosley, uh, you know, on the, on the, on the touchline or slightly over. There were six minutes at it and then we get that goal. And this is kind of the last thing to really talk about. There was a, a one, one V one where a ball goes into Archer, um, on 96 minutes. Um, he's in uh, on Queeving Keller, but he fluffs it and he might have been offside anyway. But the real moment is on 94 where we actually wrap it up as a two nil and, Again, I go back to what you said at the start. I think it's a fair result overall. And after Darwin was in on the right-hand side with Dom inside him in acres of space, and he totally makes a balls of the cross, he chases the rebound. He slide tackles, wins it, gets up, and crosses it to Dom, who's still on his own, and sweeps the ball into the net majestically. I love that goal. I love the the manic nature of it. I love everything about Darwin Nunez's contribution in terms of the energy he brings to the pitch. Because I like Jim, and I know Jan Malby has said it on shows as well. I don't think he gives a shit. I think he's mentally bomb-proof. You can't upset that kid. You can't get him down. You know what I mean? I think he's going to be just fine. Oh, 100% he is. Like, He's one of them them kids that's just, you know, he's living his dream. So, like, fuck what people have to say about him. They have to get up and go to work five days a week, nine to five, and slog away at something that they don't care about to make other people rich, while this fella's living his dream and making himself rich. He doesn't care what you or I have to say. He doesn't care that the stats say he's missed the most big chances in the league. He's going to go out and just do Darwin Nunes things. And he did plenty of them today, and some of them were good. Some of them were bad. He missed a big chance. He had a decent run down the left. He makes an absolute hames of the first opportunity to put Dom in. Then decides, I'm just going to go and take the ball back off this fella. It's a brilliant tackle. Gets the ball back. And then it's the most calm, measured, cultured little clip across. <laughs> like, it's totally un-Darwin. He just clips it across perfectly. Great first touch, great finish. And what I loved was that afterwards, there was a, uh, the camera went to, um, well, they were looking at the VAR, we're having a quick look at it, obviously. And Darwin goes up to the referee and he, he makes the, the sign for the ball. You know, I got the ball. And then Wes Fotheringham walks over and I think he asks him or says to him, like, you fouled him. And he does like a praying gesture and then starts making the gesture of the ball again. He's like, he knew he got the ball. He knew it was a good tackle. And then yeah. the replay showed it was. It was a great tackle. Like, he stands the man up, forces him to go outside, and then it's just put, gets his foot on top of the ball, hooks it back, and he's away. Like, if a fullback did that, you'd say it was a great challenge. Um, I, I thought he was doing the, the sign of go and look on the screen. He, he, was he, he might have done that to the, the referee as well, yeah. yeah. But, like... It's the full Darwin Nunes experience tonight. And, and look, he's, again, he's contributed to us winning a game of football. And that's really what he's there for. 
Like, everybody's all caught up and he misses this chance and he misses that. Yeah, he does. And yeah, it's frustrating. And yeah, we'd like to see him, you know, put some of them away. And I know that, that you, you tweeted about the, the 1v1 that he missed, Trev, when he came on. Like, mm-hmm. he needs to be scoring them. He needs to be a little bit more cool-headed. Like, as he approaches the goalkeeper, the goalkeeper commits himself to the spread. What you want to see Darwin do there is just kind of guide the ball around the goalkeeper and slide it home, or guide it a little bit wider and slide it home. But here's the thing. The fella's only played, like, 13,000 minutes in his career. So, like, he's he's still very, very inexperienced in the grand scheme of things. When we signed Torres, he played twice as many minutes as Darwin has now when we bought him. Darwin had played so little football before we signed him. Nine and a half thousand career minutes. He's super raw. Part of it is, you know, just the manic nature of his game. Part of it is he's moved. We're his fourth club already. And he missed a long period of time with a torn ACL when he was 17, 18. So, like, he just hasn't had a whole ton of minutes. But he impacts winning. And at the end of the day, that's the only thing that matters. If he wins us a league title with an assist, it's as good as him winning us a league title with a goal. If he wins us a league title with, like, the winner on Sunday against Fulham, where... He doesn't give up on the ball, hooks it across, creates a bit of chaos, and we score a goal off it. That, to me, like that's every bit as valuable to the team as a goal. Jim, let's get your wrap-up thoughts. This is going to be an absolutely delightful edit for you. Sorry to all the live listeners that are, are putting up with this nonsense. I don't know what's going on with Skype around here at the moment, but um, I'm going to blame Skype as opposed to my internet because I am getting new internet, so I, I want to be nice to it before uh, I, while I have to, still have to rely on it. Jim, let's get your final thoughts and, and, and wrap up the whole game there. And also, of course, before you leave off, let us know what's coming up for you during the week. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, just to, to continue on with the Darwin stuff, I mean, you, you look in a game and you think, yeah, you could have done better, you should have done better. Um, and you, and I, and I also think you answer that, you will do better. And, um, the end result is, as Dave was saying, that we still win games, we still have a great contribution from you, you're still doing something that makes a difference. Um, years and years and years ago, Paul Walsh was getting a bit of criticism in the press because he'd not scored in so many games yet. If you were at Anfield watching him playing a game, you'd see how much of a difference he was making to the team and how much of a contribution he was making. He may not have been getting the goals, and this was in a time when assists weren't really sort of counted or anything, you know, no one was sitting there counting assists as such. Um, he was making a huge difference, and this this is the thing that when you're a fan and you can see what's going on, it's different. I mean, forget what the back pages of the paper want to say. Forget what the, um, you know, thinly disguised manks want to say in, on social media and all the rest of it. Darwin is an amazing player who is still raw and still going to get better. And maybe, maybe, maybe that's the same with Liverpool 2.0. You know, it's still raw, Liverpool 2.0. We're getting a hell of a return from it at the moment. The fact that we are second in the league with only Arsenal in front of us, who I think are definitely one of the sides that we class as beatable. Um, we can beat them anytime if we're up for it and if we play out to, to the best of our abilities. Um, to me, we're well ahead of where we should, where we would have expected ourselves to have been. Especially, you know, if you go back and listen to us talking sort of at the end of the transfer window and things like that, um, it doesn't mean that the job's done. We've still got a lot to do. We've still got a lot to learn from. But I think, yeah, I just think the way, the way Darwin is, there's a lot of, 
a lot of positives, a lot of stuff. You can see he's getting back. You can see he's learning. Um, I almost think the way that he went and got the ball back today was almost as if he's suddenly gone, oh, yeah, 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 got to remember. I'm supposed to do this way. I'm supposed to pass it like this. Right, I'll have another go. I'll go and get the ball. I'll have another go. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of like, I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning. And I think Liverpool 2.0 is learning and learning and learning. And, um, you know, sad news about Matip. Um, I'm glad we've got Kwanzaa, who's proved himself to be so decent for such a young player. Glad we've got him in the ranks but yeah we're going to have to look at um, a bit more strength in depth aren't we for that but we'll see we'll see that's something to complain about and worry about and get upset about in the new year because I think between now and the new year now and that transfer window um, you know it's in our hands to actually go to the top of the league and I think if we carry on the way we are and just work on these things that are frustrating us all the good things we're doing will, will be enough to get us quite easy well quite possibly to the top of the league I don't want to start to say we will Um Another win, another three points, a clean sheet, which is good for Queeves. Um, you know, if we're being picky, obviously you're going to say we could have done better. But, you know, if there's an end of season DVD, if they still do such things and it shows us winning the league and things, well, this game's going to get a few seconds in it, isn't it? You know, um, two great goals. We're not really going to be that bothered about it. We'll almost forget how bad it was at times because we won. We, won. we, got, two, we got two goals, three points. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, yeah, we just did a Scouts of Tommy's on Monday, so it's worth a listen, because um, we've got quite a bit to talk about. We had to talk about the City game, the last game, and that mad 4-3. Um, and I was actually with Jay in the cop for that game, so um, it was good to talk about that sort of 24 hours after it happened. And we will get back together to do another Scouts of Tommy soon. It's just trying to fit one in, so it'll probably be next week now. Um, but there'll be plenty for us to talk about, like this game and whatever's next. Uh, Palace, which... I'm sure there'll be plenty to talk about in that too. No doubt about it. And of course, give uh, Jim and Jay your ear attention if you can at all, because the lads do wonderful work, very, very, very entertaining pods and good conversations always. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. (laughs) This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs Mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Just to tee you up, Dave, with a little bit of shitty news in terms of the quotes from Kloppo on Alexis. He says, quote, Maka, it was a shame. Early on, he stepped on his knee. There was a cut. As long as the wound was open, we just strapped it. Obviously, it was painful, but he could play. Then we stitched it. But then, obviously, it got a bit tighter there. And then he couldn't move anymore. And now we have to see how long that will take. I hope not too long. 
Now, everything was going fine there until that last line, because that's never good when Clapo says that. And we could really do without any sort of absenteeism from that one particular lad for any length of time at all. It's just concerning and worth mentioning on the evening that we find out that poor old Joel has done the ACL as well. So just to tee that up, not to put it down on things, but just so you have that in your arsenal for your final comments. Look, we talked about it earlier. You'd like to see him now just left out of the Palace game, even if he doesn't travel, whatever. Just give him that rest and get him ready for United because United and Arsenal are the two games that are important now for him. Uh, we, can, we can and should be able to get through Crystal Palace away without him. Um, you know, we've, we've got Dominic Endo and Curtis to start with. We've got Harvey. We've got... Um, Ryan Gravenberg, we've got Trent who can move in there. Gomez is, has played a little bit in that role this season. So we should have the bodies to get through Palace and then we can, we can focus in on United. So hopefully nothing too, too severe. Um, final thoughts. Um, you mentioned the Ebu, the Ebu lean in on McAtee and McAtee kind of flung himself down. I, I think, because he went down so theatrically, that's probably what made the referee's mind up. Mm. He wasn't going to give it to him. But Ibu, Ibu does does just need to be a little bit more cautious with that, especially on a guy who's so much smaller than him, because referees will look at that and think, oh, well, you've, you've clearly muscled him down. Um, but aside from that, and the, the one kind of, the, he had a miscontrol that led to him getting booked as well. Aside from that, I actually thought Ibu had a good game. Um, he won six of his ten ground duels, and he won 14 of 14 aerial duels, which is quite remarkable. And I'd, I'd be curious to see how many players have won that many aerial duels without losing a single one uh, this season. That is absolute aerial dominance. Um, on the topic of aerial duels, Ryan Gravenberg contested one aerial duel, and lost it to John Fleck, who's eight inches shorter than him. <laughs> so that might be something that Ryan could do at working on, is that, you know, jumping. Um, but like, look, I, we, we've talked about the lads that played well. It's, it's Virgil, it's Ibu, it's Endo. That's the defensive trio who are going to give us our base to play from. Uh, Queven Kelleher had a solid game. Trent had some really good moments, some, questionable defensive moments, but overall another good game. Gomez was crap. He was crap, and he'll know he was crap, but I think Costas was just rested tonight with, you know, another game coming at the weekend, so we know he'll come back in, so that's that taken care of. The midfield, they got through the work, and that's all we need them to do at the moment, just get through the work. We do need more out of our front line, though. Like, we really do need more out of our front line. That's back-to-back games now where we've scored six goals and not a single forward has scored. Um, Mo was really poor again tonight. I thought he had a really bad game against Fulham, but he did get an assist. But tonight, I just thought he... Not disinterested, but he, he, he looked... He just looked a little bit knackered as well. Like, and he's played a lot of football this season as well. Um, so I, I was actually happy when Kloppo took him off to give him a bit of a break. Cody, I mean, it was just the wrong game for him. It was. It was the wrong game for him. I wouldn't mind seeing him start again up front against Palace. But I want to see Darwin start left side because at the moment, Luis Diaz is a bit of an empty shirt. And we all understand that he's been through 
you know, that traumatic incident with his parents. But the fact of it is, that's not the reason for his poor form, because he was poor before that as well. Dave, so, can you can you imagine a world in which we actually played our exciting left-footed attacker in that position in Harvey Elliott? Just give him a start there. I'd like to see him get a start there. I would. And, and you know, when when we were talking through the pod tonight, like, I've had it in my head for a while now that come next summer, I'd be okay with Luis Diaz leaving and us taking that money and going and getting Pedro Neto from Wolves. And I know people worry about his injuries. Two of his big injuries have been impact injuries. They're not things to worry about reoccurring. He's had one bad hamstring injury that's kept him out for the last six weeks. That's kind of it. He had a minor calf issue, but it was minor. He's not as injury prone as people make him out to be. But I've been thinking having him there would allow, you know, Joe Gomez to play the left sided role if we didn't bring in another one to play there because he'd give you real width and, and pace and, you know, an outlet and, and service. But I was thinking then as we were talking through the pod, like with Joe in that role, because you, you were mentioning some of the, some of the passes he gave away. There was one pass he played to Diaz that was a simple five yard ball and he played it about 15 yards ahead of Diaz. It was just atrocious. Um, like Harvey would just make a lot of sense in that role. Especially if you, especially if you're going to play Joe in that left-sided centre back, left back kind of role, Harvey would be the one that makes sense because he's a natural lefty. So he can hold the width, he can get across in. He's capable. He's not the quickest, but he can create space for himself really well. He's make. He's he's improved his decision making, and I, I would. I'd like to see Harvey get a run there. Um, if Darwin's through the middle, I'd play Harvey there. If Gakpo's through the middle, I'd play Darwin. Because you've got to have both those roles can't be slow. And Gakpo and, and Harvey are not, they're not quick enough to go together. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'd like to see Harvey get a, get a run in, the, in that role and just see, just see what it looks like. Like if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But let's, let's see what it, it looks like for him. Because we talk about players earning their spot. And Harvey Elliott has come off the bench time and again this season and performed really well. He struggled from the start, but that doesn't mean he shouldn't just get another couple of starts. Try him somewhere else. See what he can do somewhere else. See what options you have with these players. Because come January, we can't afford to go and get another attacker because we've got to go and get a centre-back now because we've just lost Joel Matip. We already needed a defensive midfielder. So there's not going to be the money to go and get three players. And I, I don't even know if we'll get two. But I will say now, it does open up another non-homegrown spot for us because Joel will be unregistered for the back half of the season because there's no way he's, he's playing again this year. So it does mean an opportunity to go and get two non-homegrown players now presents itself. And we should do that. We really should do that. Like Jim mentioned, it, that there's a real path to us getting top of the table and and making a proper bash at winning this thing. City look really vulnerable. Arsenal, they don't impress me. They've had the easiest run of any of the top teams this season. We've got five common fixtures with them. We've taken more points from those games, which are Fulham home, Forest home, uh, Fulham home, Forest home, Chelsea away, Newcastle away, and I can't for the life of me think what the other one is. But we've taken 11 points. They've taken eight. Oh, Luton away. Luton away is the other one. Um, we've scored more goals than them. We've conceded less goals. And the best way to judge two teams against each other when they haven't played each other yet 
is common opponents and common fixtures. And we've performed better in the common fixtures than they have. So I think we're better than them. They don't concern me. I think we can go in January, add one or two, and, and we've got a real chance here. Like, there's a reason no one's won four Premier League titles before. There's a reason none of us have been alive to see a team win four league titles in a row in England. It doesn't happen. It's so hard to do. If anyone's going to do it, it'll be that cheating gang of, you know, parcels. Um, but there's a, a real chance for us this season, and we need to take advantage of it. So that's that's basically all I have for today. Two-footed um, tomorrow. There will be one Friday. They'll be recording it tomorrow. There'll be a daily red tomorrow, but none on Friday. There'll be a scouted for Palace. And I think that's all I have for the rest of this week. <laughs> that's all he has. Just the 119 podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as, as ever, Dave, knocking out of the park on a, on a daily basis and you should be listening to him. And just to, to, to bear the truth of what he's saying there, we do have a chance because tonight, in case people aren't aware or haven't checked or whatever, City actually lost. To Aston Villa, which is remarkable. And the, uh, the, 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 the table is looking very interesting. United, who Jan Mulby told me, um, on the last show looked like they're on a little bit of a mini tear, have had a win over Chelsea. So it is going to be very, very interesting to watch how things are going. Our, um, opponents next, our next opponents, Palace had a 2-0 defeat at home to Bournemouth, as Dave pointed out earlier on. So interesting times for sure. Jimmy, you wanted to come in there just before I wrap up? No, I was just, I was just sort of echoing a lot of what was said. I mean, another interesting point tonight is two games running, Klopp's only used four of his subs. When you look at the bench, I think the only player he might have brought on out that, you know, was his fifth sub was Simicus because we, we are really looking now on the bench down to the bare bones. So, mm. um, that is something just to temper the excitement that our players are getting worn out. And then, um, and apparently Klopp's snapped a little bit tonight when the Amazon presenter asked him, mm. uh, joked about the half 12 kickoff because, it's obviously a sore, a sore point for Klopp. And, I mean, if anything's going to prove it, it's the fact that they're going to get home in the early hours of the morning, um, next to no time to prepare before they have to head down to London for a lunchtime kickoff. It's, you know, this team that's struggling already in terms of injuries and fitness and keeping everyone involved and, and, and all the rest of it. You know, any question marks about tightness and all of that, um, mm. you know, it, it's hitting us again because of BT. Um, Klopp doesn't like the TV company, so I don't blame him. Oh, well, he'll be delighted to know that, that TNT got the rights to the 12.30 kickoffs moving forward in the new mm. TV deal. So we're just going to, we're just going to be on them. And, and you're like, he's just going to have to fucking live with it because it's yeah. going to happen. And the more he complains, the more it's going to happen. There's the more it's going to affect us as well. I, I, I think if you go around saying, oh, these half-twelves are a bastard, they really kill us, you know. Yeah, but it gets uh, into worn out. Well, you're going to play worn well. out and tired, aren't you, so? Of course, yeah. I just, I do hope Chris Wilder tonight, um, as he looked to his bench, having already made three substitutions, when he looked to his bench and decided to make a fourth substitution, I do hope he went over and thanked Jurgen Klopp, the man he called arrogant for fighting to get clubs the option to make a fourth and fifth sub. Oh, yeah. I do think he went over and said, look, Jurgen, I know we were, I was wrong a couple of years ago. Thanks for letting me put on this fourth sub now. Because Austin Trusty is looking really tired, so I'd like to get Max Low on. So thanks for all that you did in, in getting that. I know he didn't because he's a growly little prick. Um, <laughs> we should, though, focus on, very quickly before we go, on Ollie Norwood and maybe sending our best wishes. Because he looks like a guy whose wife has kicked him out of the house and he's living in his car. 
He does. I, I, I've tried to. I've, 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 I've sort of name checked that now at least twice uh, in my commentary there because I've, 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 I've never seen him more bedraggled looking man <laughs> coming out to a, coming out to a football pitch. In fact, so bedraggled is he on his diet of uh, you know Sprite and 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 uh, six pack of Tato's that he just got a yellow card and just went off the pitch. <laughs> I mean, what, what an evening for young Ali. Fair play to him. I hope someone sorts him out and gets him some grooming um, over the next few days. It could be worse. He could be Marcus Buckland, who Kloppo is not very happy with. He said, no, it's a, 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 Buckland apologizes and Klopp says, it's good. You can say what you want. It's just I cannot say what I want because that would be really different. <laughs> 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 Tremendous. But I agree with the lads. He needs to take the edge off on that because it's not going to go well. We have been, as usual, long. We like to go long on this show. There will be some edits, though, um, possibly due to my rural Ireland Wi-Fi uh, and possibly due to Skype being a bit of a weirdo. But one way or the other, we did clock in at our usual 80-odd. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, that was Jim Boardman and Dave Hendrick and Guy Drinkle doing sterling work in the background because he had to, even more so than usual. I've been Trev Denny and we'll be back with you again for the Crystal Palace game on Raw. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.